This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in, to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepip.com using the code podcast15. Now, if you are anything like me, then hearing your baby cry is like someone pulling your heart from inside your body. Your gut instinct is likely to instantly be pick them up, pick them up, cuddle them, comfort them, feed them or rock them. There are no two notions that seem to exist. One is that it's the right thing to do to respond to your baby and to develop that deep and secure attachment. And then there's the idea that perhaps we shouldn't rush in. Maybe we should even just leave them to cry. Now, my thoughts and feelings on crying have changed during my parenting journey. And I'm really excited to chat about crying, types of crying, age appropriate responses, and ultimately how this can play into the hands of baby sleep today. So on this week's episode, I am joined by two women who in the eyes of many parents, mine included, are sleep angels. Eve and Jem, the founders of Calm and Bright Sleep Support Sisters and Mothers to eight children between them. Eve and Jem believe in empowering parents with solid sleep and believe it is achievable for all. But they also have a quite unique take on age-appropriate responsive crying that you may not have heard before. So welcome and Thank you, first of all, for existing, because I am very grateful. Um, and thank you for coming on to chat to me today as well. Oh, Pip, thank you so much. We've been really looking forward to this one and we're, we're really honoured to get a chance to chat to you. No holds barred. Yeah, we are. I can't wait. I cannot wait because Jem has heard me talk a lot recently <laughs> through her iPhone, usually at two in the morning. So it's great to chat face to face at a more civil hour. Now, before we get started into crying and sleep and what that means and those difficult emotions we might have to navigate, can you tell me why Calm and Bright Sleep was born? I'm very grateful it was, but I just wonder what the why was. <laughs> of course. So it all began because I was an extremely, and still am by the way, 
left wing, as I would call it, mom, in the sense that I wanted to breastfeed on demand. I wanted as natural a birth as possible. I was barefoot. I was having nice goat's milk as kids. We had fresh goat's milk from the, the goat. And I wanted to do everything <laughs> naturally. And I was inherently, fundamentally, deeply against control crying and sleep training uh, because I'd heard really dodgy things about it that, for example, it, it was neglectful. It wasn't meeting your child's needs, that it was selfish to want to get sleep. And also that it was a modern day concept that babies should sleep. And in fact, they're supposed to wake up till they're five and we just need to suck it up. And, and we shouldn't have had kids if we didn't want to struggle. And I was well on board with that. And I was even a bit judgy to people that did do sleep training. Um, but then life did what it does often. And it handed me um, a position that I got into where I couldn't get out of without embracing some change. And that was that I had a, a car crash with my 10 month old baby in the car, not a big one, but very much enough to really show me very clearly that I was not safe, both mm. physically and mentally in the way that I was operating. And the brutality of sleep training wasn't half as brutal as the existence that I was in, which was feeding my 10 month old baby who had these beautiful rolls of fat on her arm to show how well <laughs> nourished she was from the old gold top who was actually waking on newborn regularities. And because I was at the 10 month mark, I was very clear that this wasn't necessary, but I didn't want to do control crying, okay? But then I got to the point where I felt like I had to do something. So I didn't want to do the shut the door and leave her to it. And I didn't want to, or nor could I continue on as I was. So I then found myself hoping and, and trying desperately to create a middle ground. Our lovely mum came up. She supported me, which was where I realized that support was actually the key in, not the method, mm. but the support. And within two nights, using my really responsive method that never meant I was away from her for any more than a few minutes, she was doing the 12 hours. Wow. And I was shook to the core that it was one, that easy. And two, I felt compelled to tell everyone about it. So I just gave my number to the health visitors who I had a really good relationship with at the time. And I said, any mum struggling, give them my number and I will help them. And I did that voluntarily for five years in my local area. And I had a 100% success rate. I still felt like a massive imposter because I thought, who am I to, but the tired parents didn't seem to care that I was just a mum of a few children and it grew. And then my gem came on board, you know, pediatric nurse. And now we're a team of mental health professionals and pediatric nurses and midwives. And it's, it's, that's how it was born through sheer desperation and not being able to pick between the two sides that you talked about earlier. I love it. And then you convinced Jem to join you. <laughs> I held her at gunpoint and said, look, sister, I've got like 10 families that need my help. I can't do it. Just this weekend, can you help? And she was like, well, you say it, Jem. You're like, I'm a nurse. This is so not my vibe. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I, I was nursing in London. I was loving what I was doing. And I thought, you know, I was really happy and in, in a good place professionally and Eva said look I'm I've got all of these families will you just help me for this weekend and I said okay I will and I did and within a couple of days I remember calling Eve in tears and just saying oh my gosh like I, I get it now we are actually saving lives but in a different way and I was hooked and that was nine years ago now and I, <laughs> I'm here <laughs> oh I love it well you guys are doing a bloody awesome thing so so thank goodness 
that you had that that moment, I suppose, Eve, all those years ago where you were like, something's got to change. There has to yeah. be this medium where we can be yeah. great parents and be attached mm. to our babies. Yes. And also mm. like be human beings and have those right. that sleep that we like need, we really need. So true. I, I really felt strongly that the narrative back then, and I, do you know what? I think it's exactly the same today, is that you have to choose between a well-attached mm. or a well-rested baby, and you can't have mm. both. And the truth is you can't really get one without the other. You can't be yeah. completely super secure and energized and creative and confident and autonomous mm. as a baby or an adult if you're not mm. getting the thing that heals and soothes and repairs and mm. restores. It's not, mm. you know, you don't have to pick. And in mm. fact, you need both. It nurtures attachment, doesn't it? So many of our families say, oh, I get it now. Like I'm feeling more attached to my baby, more in tune with what their needs are. And that's where the cry levels are so helpful when doing sleep teaching, because when our babies need us, we are very much there. We're not closing the door. We're saying through our actions, my darling, I love you. I'm here and I will always come back, but we need to do this differently for us. Mm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely way to, to guide and to teach our babies. I love that. And actually listening to Eve talk about your your headspace prior to finding your way and the way that you've helped so, so many families with, I really, really felt that myself in mm. that I was very much like, I will never leave Finley to cry, never. Mm. And it was like gut-wrenching, got to pick him up, he's crying, feed him, yeah. breastfeed mm. all the time. Like you, lots of roles, lots of feeding going on. Um, <laughs> breastfeed all the time, all the time. And then I reached out to you guys when... I think Finley was nine months or approaching nine months and I was aware yeah. that in a few months time I was going back to work on night shifts and it wasn't going to be fair for any of us my mm -hmm. husband Finley myself for us to suddenly be separated when all he knew was to mm -hmm. wake up three to four hours overnight and be fed back to sleep and yes. it was actually kind of working all right for us mm -hmm. because within five minutes he was back to sleep I was back to sleep mm -hmm. I didn't have a major, major issue at the time. I didn't realize anyway. Yes. Now I realize actually mm. it wasn't good because this is so much better. But mm. it was the night shifts and returning to work that really made mm. me think, okay, something's got to change. This mm. isn't sustainable anymore. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I loved when I connected to you guys was the reality of when your babies do need to wake overnight in those early days and weeks, and then actually when things change and supporting that transition yeah. in such a beautiful, organic, yeah. gentle way, which I really liked. Yeah, That's because, it. you know, feeding to sleep is the very thing that our babies need. And we're all about throughout the fourth trimester and beyond that, if you need to, responding to your baby. And then you have such a beautifully attached baby that they have the emotional capacity to start learning how to self-settle when you're ready. And everybody's obviously ready to do that at different points. But it's And it's keeping the feeding and the sleep together, which is, what we do is we always say you know feed before all sleep just try and separate that feeding to sleep past six months and I think one of the things that probably worries everybody like every new mum when it comes to let's think about improving sleep because I'm yet to meet a mum that doesn't want to improve their sleep um is crying isn't it it's such mm. a difficult one it's mm. so so difficult and I wonder if you guys could just explain to us what control crying is because that's mm. definitely a term that we all hear as parents yes. and are terrified of and then how that differs to the responsive crying that you guys talk about in your awesome plans sure so 
it is really normal for the word crying at all to put the fear of God into parents. There's lots of reasons for this, but very briefly, we are programmed as their mothers and fathers to ensure their survival. And crying in historical times was, of course, a signal of potential threat to life. It was serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And everything within Mm -hmm. us, biologically, emotionally, psychologically, and maybe even inherited genetic memory is stop the problem. Mm -hmm. And so it's really natural. So if people say, I'm really bad, at letting my baby cry no you're really good at not letting your baby cry you're an in tune attached mother or father wonderful and that's how we should be I've never met a parent that's like yeah just let them cry like let's bring it on you know that you're not supposed to be like that it's really natural to be really concerned and, and even really anxious about crying it's natural what I will say though is that there is a huge amount of really really damaging misinformation Mm. out there about crying now very briefly again the source of the main arguments against controlled crying and I will explain what it is comes from something that is so far removed from a safe attached baby who's loved and warm and fed and in a cot in a safe house in a safe country with loving parents and the source of the anti-controlled crying movement and all this huge um vitriol against crying comes from actually uh Romanian orphanages in the 1990s where very tragically babies and children were not only left to cry to the point where they stopped crying because mm-hmm. their carers never came it's awful but also they were also ne- abused on quite a chronic level um I won't go into details but very disturbing and they they became they did something called learned helplessness where which is horrific and it's where Mm. they learn not to cry because nobody came now whilst that is absolutely horrific it is totally incomparable and out of context to compare that to a, a loved child who's having a few days of responsive sleep teaching where you're never away from them for more than a few minutes. And so when people reference your child only stops crying because they learn you won't come, babies who've been sleep trained no longer signal that they have needs. Trust me, <laughs> we've helped over <laughs> 6,000 families. If your baby's hungry mm. or cold or needs a feed or needs a cuddle, they they, they get tell it. you. They will Mm. tell you and they get Mm. it quite right. Mm. This is not about not meeting needs. And in fact, I'd go as far as to say that the state we spend a third of our lives in is a really high need. So if we Mm. want to be need meeting parents, we've got to include sleep. But to answer your question, Pip, all babies cry. It's a way of communicating. We're not afraid of crying when they're in the car seat or they don't have the lollipop in Sainsbury's or you know, they, they cough and they don't like it. We don't feel that will damage them. Mm -hmm. And actually that's no different to not being able to rush in and rescue and actually to stop them from learning the golden opportunity to do something they're perfectly capable of doing. Controlled crying has dodgy connotations. Gem, do you want to talk about why we don't like that term? Yeah, it has got negative connotations. It's control and and Mm. crying and even the word cry, even though that's that can be what happens when you do sleep teaching, it isn't always. But even within controlled crying, there are huge different variations of methods. Um, But cry it out is entirely different. Cry it out is where you close the door and you do not visit responsive control crying is very different through your actions you're physically emotionally you're physically and emotionally present and you're saying I'm here I've got you you can do this so cry it out is completely different and there's still a massive confusion about that but it's very different to responsive sleep teaching and like I said even within control crying there are different you know responses ours is incredibly responsive because that's really important to us 
and crying can be triggering can't it for for so many people we're programmed over centuries to rush in to rescue so it's about reframing crying and um doing that can really help because we're talking about babies that are fed warm attached safe and crying is a really normal response when you make changes to sleep and the level of protest I always say is only ever proportionate to the change that needs to happen in order for your baby to feel safe it's why we get complete turnarounds within a week usually I was just going to say that Gem it we any plan including ours that has a form of controlled crying you don't actually have crying in the plan so you don't it's not part. No. Of the, I used to think it was like part of the teaching you let them cry but actually it's it's not in our plans and there are many babies who don't cry or, or cry very little the crying happens Gem just touched on this in response to us changing behaviors and patterns that are not working for us now we're saying for our actions, we've got you. But the point is that, that we don't bring the tears. It's not part of the teaching. It's just something that happens when we do it. But we wouldn't mind if our child wouldn't be plugged in the car. We wouldn't say, oh, my darling, mm. keep your belt off. I'm going to drive around at 70 miles an hour. You might die, <laughs> but at least you won't have <laughs> cortisol in your brain. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Oh, that's such a good comparison, isn't it? And one that I'm sure so many parents will relate to, because of course we don't think twice, but we'll be doing mm. it and we'll be explaining this is so that you're safe and blah, blah, blah. We can't get in the car if you're not, but sleep, we seem to have a completely Look. different mindset despite so the parallels. Um, so that is so interesting. One of the questions I wanted to ask that you've actually already really started to allude to Eve is whether, and because this was totally where my mindset was with a newborn baby, 100%, I am guilty as charged, as I'm sure lots of parents listening might be feeling the same, yeah. is that leaving your baby to cry does exactly like you alluded to, is that it causes this massive amount of cortisol and stress and jam damages their brain and is really, really bad for their brain development and causing that separation anxiety. Is all of that based on the study that you just spoke about? Absolutely. The origins wow. of the vast majority are that. And they're right. You know, if you are, if your needs are absolutely neglected and you're you're not responded to, you absolutely will have huge implications yes. into adulthood and, you know, finding it difficult to form good relationships, how you basically, how you process and how you feel about yourself and the world ultimately. Mm. But if we were to say that all crying does that, then when our baby's crying, when we're changing their nappy, are they then like having problems getting a, a nice partner mm. in the future? No, because it's necessary, mm. as is learning to sleep. Now, they actually can all sleep, by the way, Pip. It's us, unfortunately, that interferes with it because we're trying to do the best thing. And, they, you know, when we've got our first and second children, they might and we'll like rush in and tuck them in and fasten to a bit of a rock. And actually that if we've got if our, if that was our third or fourth child, we wouldn't have the time because we'd be wiping a bum or getting the nips out or doing the spellings. And they're always <laughs> the best sleepers because we've done less because yeah. we've enabled through doing less and hanging back, which is the real gift. But, yeah, it is really common to believe genuinely believe that if your baby cries for even a minute mm. they'll be scarred and that's really sad because what that mm. does pip one it's not true mm. um we reference over 50 studies in our book about this so people can actually get the information mm. um but two it what it does is it does what it did to me back 15 years ago it prevents you it makes you it forces you to accept the unacceptable and it mm. keeps you frozen in an intolerable situation with the false belief that you have to just wait it out. And whilst mm. you can, the, what our message is, is that you don't have to. You could actually have solid sleep within 
honestly, truly three to five days in a huge amount of cases. Um, and so whilst you can struggle on for years, you really don't have to. That's the big message. Mm. It's not that you should sleep teach, but if you want to, it's okay. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Now to parents listening that have a baby, like I did a few <laughs> months ago, that is waking up every few hours overnight. They are listening to you saying you can have full sleep in three three to five days. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow. I haven't met my baby. You it's haven't, not, because yeah. that was me. You, But you yeah. haven't met Finley. He's not, I'm yeah. telling you now, he's not going to sleep through the night until he's about 10. I like, remember this so well. Happen. I remember you saying, but I remember you actually. When I'll we be that saying, one that doesn't work. I was saying to you, because obviously this time next week when he's sleeping, and I think you actually laughed at one point. <laughs> and this is, and I, and I actually love that. That's one of the, the best parts of my job is assessing families or speaking to families in the inbox on Insta and then saying, well, obviously that won't be us. And then hearing from them a week later, but it's, we understand why you don't believe that sleep can be mm. different. It's all consuming. And remember that exhaustion erodes hope and, and promise of, of different sleep. And if your reality thus far has taught you that sleep cannot be different, then your brain tells you that it can't. So it's a real leap of faith. It's a massive step of courage to, to take action, to change We just lost you slightly. But it, at the end, work. Gem, your and reception. Just, we just when... we lost your last little sentence. I think. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay. So I was saying that you know it's hard to believe that it can be different, mm. but it absolutely can. It can, can't it? It can. And one of the things I thought I had a really happy, happy, chilled out baby, which which I did have, but then when he started sleeping through the night. In the morning, rather than like a bit of a sleepy, dreary baby until nap time, he was like this waking up with these big smiles and he wanted to play. And I was like, wow, like then I felt the mum guilt that I hadn't done this month earlier, mm -hmm. because actually now you are reaching your full potential in terms of play and awakeness. And mm -hmm. I mean, motherhood is forever juggling mum guilt, isn't it? But, but seeing that from the other side and keeping that perspective as to why you've chosen to change things up can be so helpful, mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> If you are anything like me, the juggle between having a little one and trying to have a home that still looks nice is a toughie, which is why I am super excited to share Ruggable, the gorgeous range of rugs in a huge variety of styles and sizes that fit in your home washing machine. Game changing, right? They are a two part system with a removable, 100% machine washable, non-slip, water and stain resistant cover so our little people can explore and run wild in our homes whilst restoring some style too use code midwifepip10 for 10% off your ruggable rug at ruggable.co.uk people do say that they say oh i thought i had a happy baby before or they also say i just thought i had a really miserable clingy hard work baby which is so sad because they're just knackered and that's other parents that never do sleep teaching as well because their baby has constant separation anxiety they're just shattered you mm. know you our babies are really mm. not that much different to us when we're tired I am snappy I'm weepy I'm jumpy like if someone comes up behind me I'll jump I'm forgetful I'm clumsy I'm quite reactive I'm not mm. sort of planning my responses and I'm not that calm and our babies aren't any different so 
as Jem said, mm. it, it, it absolutely, it's a huge, there's a huge payoff. So even if you can't bring yourself to do it for you, which of course should be enough to say, I deserve to get the rest I need to be the mum that my kids deserve, you know, do it for them because the, the benefits for them in terms of immunity, mm. in terms of cognitive development, in terms of happiness and mood regulation and emotional stability are absolutely vast. Um, mm. But for us, you know, it, it will heal your relationships, your your metabolism, your your mood, your mental health, huge links mm. with mental health. Pip, one of the stats that I still makes my mind fall out the back a bit is this study that was done with a group of women who 70% of them tested as maternally depressed at the beginning um, using the proper score. So they were medically diagnosed as being maternally depressed. And after sleep teaching, just 10% of that same group still Mm. fit the criteria. And if we were to apply these figures to UK maternal depression, it really makes me get chills. That's 72,000 women a year who needn't be maternally depressed. Mm. They were just to get the rest that they needed. It speaks wow. volumes to me. And then the impact that has on the entire family, family. Unit, including mm. the, the child's development, which is the thing mm. that was worrying you in the first place, right? Exactly. Yeah. That is such a good point. That's, that's the greatest paradox for me is the very reason we avoid sleep teaching to become compassionate, patient, creative, et cetera, responsive becomes the thing that we can't be because we're not sleep teaching or or because we've got broken sleep it's really interesting paradox like you said and I think for for me personally and and this might help other parents that are in that kind of what should I do that the teaching to sleep became the same way that we teach our babies to eat we teach them Mm. to color in we teach them to play with a certain toy it just found that trying to align sleep with those other things that we do because we know it's great for our baby's development and abilities and it's part of our job as a mum, aligning it with those things, I was a bit like, oh, it's actually no different. Yeah. We seem to box it separately, don't we? Yeah, we, we do. do. And if, if you know, like tummy time, Pip, you know, it's mm. not, I'd yet to meet a baby that's like, whoop, I'm on my tummy again. Yeah. You know, they're like, <laughs> like oh, so what true. is this? It's hard and not very nice. And... I liken sleep teaching to allowing tummy time because if we didn't, if we rushed in and went, oh, you're not liking that, let's mm. let's save you. They're not going to develop those crucial muscles and the part of the, you know, development that they need. A crawling is a huge part, as you probably know, of babies that don't crawl um, can go on to have really issues with backs and things later on. So what we're doing is we're just not rushing in and rescuing. We're still reassuring. We're saying, I know you're on your tummy. It's not, Mm. I know you don't like it, but let's, what about this? And Mm. it's very similar to allowing supported minor, mild struggle within loving, you know, Mm. support and reassurance. Mm, That's such a good, I love it. So when you start looking at it in in that context, it makes it feel so much more acceptable and easy, doesn't it? It's so, so different. So different. Um, and one of the other things I wanted to speak to you guys about is how do we start to adjust this balance? So, and and do we need to? So when, when we think about sleep teaching, I think there's definitely a stigma and, you know, June next door might think that's a really awful thing because like you say, society tells us that babies just don't sleep. That's just the norm. We have to put up with it. We chose to have a baby. We deal with it, which you've addressed beautifully and that not being the best way. So can we, can we really create this balance guys between a rested, happier baby? And do we have to accept a degree of crying to achieve that? Is it like a, a thing we have to go through? 
If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What do you say, Gem? It is, it, it doesn't, you don't, there isn't always crying in all babies that learn how to self-settle. And actually, we've got lots of information in our plans about, you know, the first six months doing everything on demand and you often if you do that and then you enable sleep and set good foundations to sleep from kind of four months five months without doing active sleep teaching you don't then need to go on to do it and, and in that instance there will not be any crying mm. but it's when you have to make changes to behaviors and patterns and things like you said that you're doing that aren't wrong but aren't conducive to enabling self-settling so it's it's setting the expectation that when you make change crying might happen it's a really normal response in a well-attached baby but it's about through your responses supporting them in that and being emotionally present and physically but it's also about losing the judgment and about having these conversations because there is this stigma and saying something that means that it is a better option for you to co-sleep and that's okay it's about losing the judgment and saying you know whatever you do, however you choose to do sleep in your family is, is perfectly okay. So it's about having those conversations, I think. Yeah. 100%, yeah. And your plans are beautifully judgment-free, which which makes them, I think, accessible to all, whatever they're currently doing and whatever they found works or doesn't work for them, which is important. Because yeah. as I say, there's so much mum guilt and judgment in every walk of yes. whatever we do, isn't there? I think you're right. I think I, I would say that there is a call for there to be more information out there and for there to be more people confidently stepping into the middle ground uh, I would also say that when people find it hard to know who to listen to and it is bloody hard I mm. I got into my position my car crashed because I didn't know which cherries to pick as I, I put in my poem that I wrote about it but actually what I would say to people is one only you know so you might not have help. You might not have your parents nearby. You might have to go back to work or you might not have to do any of those things. You might have all the help in the world and a cleaner and a servant and you still just need sleep for your mental mm. health. You don't need to justify it. What I would say to people is when you're listening to different people talking about different areas, could be sleep or anything, could be birthing, midwifery, dig down and have a little think about what is underneath what they're saying. Is it compassion? Is it judgment free? Is it kind? Is it does it connect with your soul? Does it feel good and right? Or does it make you feel guilty? Does it make you feel judged? Does it make you feel bad? And a lot of the voices out there that are very anti it are very cross and very bitter and very, well, you shouldn't have had a baby if you didn't want to, you know, you'll get a tired mum going on a forum, no names mentioned on big, big platforms going, <laughs> I'm really tired. I, I don't want to do sleep, but I don't know what to do. And you will literally get people jump on them and go, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. You shouldn't. Do and anyone like that, just stop listening to them. Get rid of them. Unfollow them. Yeah, clear out. Do your spring cleaning because they're, they're not giving. But if you feel heard, safe and supported, listen to them. And that's not going to be the same people for everyone, by the way. You know? Oh, I love that. That's such 
beautiful holistic advice for protecting our being, you know, in whatever stage you are, sleep or otherwise, mm-hmm. um, because there is a lot of advice bombarded, especially when you announce a pregnancy or the arrival of your baby. Oh my gosh, everyone is an expert and have got their bit to add, haven't they? Helpfully mm-hmm. or not. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Now you spoke a little bit about first six months, responsive, on demand, feeding by whatever means you are, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a a time that you would recommend if you do choose to do sleep teaching to do that? Or is there foundations that we should be installing from day one? Now I'm coming at this as a mum who did the very much on demand, feed, 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 day and night all the time. Um, There was no setting of foundations until I was like, oh, this doesn't work for us anymore. So where if someone's, you know, pregnant listening or they've got a newborn, what, Mm. what can we look for? What can we do? Is there anything we can do prior to six months? So everyone's ready to make changes at different points. And it really depends, I think, on your journey through conception, through pregnancy, what your birth was like. And that all is very impactful. But there are things that you can do in the early months, such as simple things like awake windows instead of set times and just doing everything on demand so you have a beautifully attached baby. We have got a gentle baby method in our plan, which includes picking babies up and feeding through the night still. And if you do that, then you're setting good foundations for sleep. But if you are wanting to co-sleep for two years and then make changes, you can. There is no pressure. And it is all about doing what feels right for you. And you are the expert in your baby. So, yes, you can do lots to set good foundations for sleep, but you don't have to. And you mentioned a two-year-old. Does that mean it's never too late? It's never too late. We support families for children up to the age of four. We used to go up to the age of six. So it's never too late. But if you were to choose an ideal age to do sleep teaching, it would be between six months and a year because you don't have deeply ingrained sleep associations. But we can always support and there are always things that can be done for for any child, really. Well, that's good to hear. So I'm going to now pretend that I reached out to you guys around eight, nine months because I knew that was the perfect time. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be my take Thanks for that. Um, My other question was going to be around what we can do with accepting that crying, managing it, because even if we align it with the same as the car seat safety and the tummy time, it can still feel Mm. really tough, can't it? Mm. And we know it's not forever and we know there's a really good reason, but how in that moment can we help Mm. manage those emotions? I think the first thing I'd say is that it's really important that people understand that there will be and there are factors that can make crying really hard. So every parent finds crying hard. That's normal as we discussed, right? But if it literally pulls your guts out from the inside, which it does for many parents, it did for me, it may be that it's not just about that crying. So things that might surprise people to hear is that um, a traumatic childhood where perhaps our needs weren't met, um, a tricky mother-daughter relationship, um, a difficult journey to conception, um, multiple or even one, you know, loss of a baby or a sibling, I mean, a traumatic birth, postpartum period, postnatal depression, mental health, um, 
all of those things can make crying feel even more impossible. So first of all, it's important to come through our assessment process and to really understand whether it's going to be possible for you. And because we do turn people away, we do say we feel that this is there's some work to be done first. And we have an integrative therapist that we can refer people to if they want to. But we do say for some people, it's not right for you now. And we're, we're really open about that. Um, and for some families, it's harder for them because of these factors, but we will then handhold them and use the support packages mm-hmm. where we have more handholding. That's what sets us apart really is the support. But to everyday people who find crying difficult, one, it's normal. So just to normalize it. Two, to remember that you are not, you know, be, be mindful of the words that you use. If you're using, I've abandoned them. I'm, they're all alone. I, I've left them alone to cry. And these are all our meanings that we're adding, our, our narratives, our stories, perhaps due to our past, like I said. But actually, you and I haven't been left alone in bed, abandoned if we go to sleep. We're perfectly safe and tucked up and, and nice and warm and et cetera and fed and everything. So trying not to add big meaningful dramatic you know catastrophizing language um having somebody supportive so even if your partner's not on board just ask them before and we've got this in our plans to say you can do it let's do it we've just got three days to get through let's just give it our all let's not question the plan let's not dilute it let's just so encouragement from a supportive could be a friend you know could be us Mm. you know the sleep supporters at calm and bright And another thing is distraction. It's really helpful. Like when you're doing anything tricky, if you're in a waiting room for an exam that you're not that excited about, you know, to to do a crossword or a puzzle or to sort that drawer or to, you know, we talk about saying sort your cutlery drawer out or get your socks and pair them up. It really does help to still be present and still attach to your baby, but helping your mind to get some reprieve from it. But we're not talking about hours and hours, Pip. And Mm. I would go as far as to say that more than 80% of people or more are shocked at how little Mm. crying there is in comparison to before when everyone was crying all the time. Mm. I was just going to say that, that's a really good point, and how the protest reduces often within the same day. So not only just the level of protest reduced, but the time that it takes for your baby to settle off. And that happens with our plans. And I think that gives parents hope because by night one, because we recommend starting for naps in the daytime, you've already used the method a couple of times. The protest is reducing. That gives you hope to keep going. And it's such a small amount of time in the grand scheme of things. It really is. And that's such a good point. Let's say you have a god awful 40 minutes, right? A Mm. protest on that one, which will feel like 40 years and totally (laughs) counterintuitive. 40 minutes where you're constantly going in let's say you have that right let's say it's hard hard work nap two as Gem says you might be looking at 25 20 minutes nap um, three let's say you've got a seven month old so you're just about to drop down to two maybe you've got 15 10 by bedtime you might have a five minute settle and by your first Mm -hmm. wake you might not have and it's Mm -hmm. that quick and that return on investment for want of a better word is so validating and so encouraging that you almost go how can I not carry on because Mm. my baby is showing me Mm. right in front of my eyes that this is what they want and you know what half the time you know when babies are like pick me up don't pick me up you know when they're arching up they don't know what they want they're actually saying will you just get off me like I just want to sleep and you're interrupting me but we find it really hard to we can only see that on the other side you know oh 100 and I um I know we spoke about this when I did an Instagram live with you guys, but so Finley was night two slept through and we were like, no, like he was three times a night was a good night for us. Like if you wake three times, that was a good night. And then night two, he slept through. So we had a thing, oh, I can't quite remember. Maybe like a 30 minute protest was our first. And like you said, it yeah. just got shorter and shorter. Night two, yeah. we were like, 
this can't, this just no. can't happen. Like my baby is like, this can't be, this can't be right. And then we had teething. So then we had yeah. two weeks of difficulty, but I knew it had worked. So mm. I was very much like, it's okay. And we'll get back there. And, and it's yeah. the same now when he's ill, I feed him mm. in the night. But yeah. when he's not ill, he's not interested. And yeah. actually now what he'll yeah. do is he he doesn't feed to sleep anymore. He's past that, I think probably yeah. emotionally, developmentally. But anyway, he'll feed in the night if he's ill. He had tonsillitis lives a couple yeah. of weeks ago, we'd feed. And then he'll come off, sit up and point at his cot. <gasps> yeah. He's I'm like, already going I, there. I can get myself to sleep in there. You get out now. You're done. done with you. You're done. You've done your job. Amazing. Amazing. That's so clever. Like he's 13 months, a little bit. They're so clever once they mm. understand that that link, mm. aren't they? I feel like yes. we don't give them the credit they need sometimes. Oh, we don't. They're Absolutely. so much more capable. Everyone needs to know that beyond the age of six to eight months, your baby can sleep 11 to 12 hours a night. Not they should, but they can. And if you mm. want them to do it, you we can give you all the tools to do it yourself you know and not even our plan who cares what plan it is as long as it feels like a good honest and authentic plan it doesn't matter how you do it and as long as it works more things that work let's make yeah. it work um one last question i could honestly i could i could ask you questions all day guys but you've probably got parents to help and um, one last question is how can we so I was very much, he's not sleeping through because it's my fault because I breastfed him to sleep for nine, eight, nine months. Can we do bad things? Can we like set bad examples for sleep and get them into traps and then we've got to unpick it? Is that, is that, is that no. a truth when they're little? No, it's not. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing any of, of those things up to four, up to five. If it's working for you, it's working. It really is. So it's about casting aside that judgment and saying, do you know what? This is okay. And actually... I did a reel on this a while ago, but there aren't any any such thing as bad habits mm. as building a rod for your own back. It doesn't exist in the early months. It just doesn't exist. So enjoy that time. Enjoy doing everything on demand. And you'll know when you're ready to make changes. And it can coincide with what you're doing, stopping working. Like the rocking stops working. The wakes are getting worse. That would be a good sign to make change. But you will do it when you're ready. And it, it has to come from you. It can't come from anyone else. Yeah. I really like what you say, Jen, when you say... There's no bad habits, but there are behaviors mm. that are not conducive to solid sleep. So yeah. you can go in and hold your baby's hand, your toddler's hand four times a night or breastfeed them three times a night at 10 months. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. Don't let anybody make you feel bad about that. If you're feeling rested, if you're feeling connected to your partner, if you're feeling like your memory is good, your immunity is good, your you're healthy, you're strong, you're mentally good, don't change it. But mm. if it's not working, if life feels mm. like a slog, if you're snapping, if you haven't got time for your friends or your other siblings, or you found the remote control in the fridge or keep stubbing <laughs> your toe and you keep missing those cars on the roundabout, you can change it. That's the message. Mm. It's mm. that it's not your, if you, if every time your baby above the age of six to eight months gets a feed rock pack, there's nothing wrong with it but it, you will not get the 11 to 12 hours mm. that they are capable of. So it is absolutely your choice whether you want them to sleep their best sleep or if you're quite happy with them. Like Jem says, if you're feeling great on it, I would carry on. Mm. There's no shoulds. It's how you feel, how your baby feels and whether, as Jem says, whether what was working is still working or not. Mm, that is a very good message. Because like you say, what works for one doesn't work for the other. We're all beautifully mm. unique. It's what makes the world go round. That's um, it. 
Anyone that comes on the podcast, I ask for three top tips, which is difficult because there's two of you. So you could roll with this however you like. We'll find a way. (laughs) (laughs) Throw me some top tips for parents either worried about that sleep deprivation or in the midst of it. So I would start by, I just want to give them a bit of free advice and just say the nap gap is 45 minutes at one month. So at four weeks of age, within 45 minutes, they need to be up, change, like having a feed and asleep again. And that 15 minutes adds on every month. So at two months, it's an hour. At three months, it's an hour and 15. And that you can apply that lovely rule up to 12 months. So the first thing to be conscious of is nap gap. So that's the first place to go is to get day sleep sorted. So that's a massive bit of free advice that should really, really help your mums and dads, hopefully. Mm. So the nap gap rule starting at, at four weeks. Jen, what would you say? Jem, you there? Pip, can you hear me? I can hear you. Jem, can you hear me? Hi, Jem. I think she's frozen, so I'll do another <laughs> one. I can't tell. She'll I be back. Tell. No, she's back. She she's was back. frozen. She's back. Oh, she's here. <laughs> I went, my connection, sorry, my connection is so bad. I have no idea you, why. You've had like no a, one really, else is here, so I can't a really nice um, suspense and build up now. So this has got to be an amazing <laughs> tip. <laughs> so... I would say this is to an to a new mummy, to a mummy that's just had their baby, whether it's first, fourth, fifth, you know, in those early days, just be kind to yourself as you navigate through the difficult days. You've been through huge emotional change, huge physical change. Just be kind to yourself and lean on people. Reach out if you need to get support. It's so important to do that. Absolutely. And then I'd say also to now let's let's use Gemma's point to use my next one is if you've got a child that's beyond 12 months old, an older child that's not sleeping through, please don't feel bad uh, or guilty. Um, There's such a lot of shame attached to Mm. beyond the age of 12 months. They should be sleeping through. That's absolute BS. Well, they can, by the way, but it's not your fault. You're worth as a mother or father is not attached to how well your baby happens to sleep in fact if they don't sleep really well it probably means you've given a hell of a lot of love and support and affection and presence so don't beat yourself up but also know that if you have had enough it doesn't matter what judgy jane thinks if you need your sleep for you or your baby it is literally right there ready for you to take it so the message is to any shattered parent no matter what your child's age is in our case up to the age of four there is hope. Mm. There is hope. That's so powerful, even. I love the the kind of you've given so much. So not that guilt they're not sleeping, actually. Wow. You've How well have you done? Yeah. yeah. Can I add one? Yeah. Yes. This is yeah. a bit like rebelly. Woo, rogue. <laughs> a little bit rogue. A little bit breaking the rules. But because just from my experience, I got into that trap of like you Google, don't you? My four-month-old, when should they nap? When should they sleep? And you get should. all these plans all these like plans that at this time do that at this time do that and Finley did not fit in any of those boxes despite me really trying like months of stress about it's not it's 9 15 you need to sleep but you woke up at half four so you're knackered but trying to fit in those boxes but Mm. our babies don't fit in boxes they just don't so please please if anyone listening that's trying to fit their baby into the boxes of the google plans don't do it don't do it get get something individualized to your baby Mm. absolutely there's not one time in our plans because we just feel like the minute you have a, a, a time you, you feel like you failed when you can't meet it and like you said how can a nap be at 
nine if they woke up at eight and at six like surely it's about how yeah. tired they are and surely it's a, it, what if your school runs at nine and it doesn't make any sense to me that at all so I would agree with you Pip I wanted to ask you a question oh yeah which yeah, is what would you say if you could go back to shattered Pip like mm. feeling like I can't sleep train like it's it's mm. the devil but I can't do this what would you say to yourself now now that you've been through it what how would you hug yourself and what would you say like what would you do oh I love that um for me I think it was recognizing that the sleep is going to have huge, huge benefits for our entire family and mm. for Finley and for Finley's development in terms of being able to play and be able to interact with other children, not be like, oh my gosh, I'm just exhausted. You're just dragging me around tired and all I want to do is nap because I've been up half the night. For me, it was realizing that, but I was a, I was a, such a skeptic, such a skeptic. Mm. I know so many people are going to relate to that, but it really is, it really is possible. And it's really not as bad as we all think it's going to be, it was actually, dare I say it, fairly easy emotionally. I struggled with the, the crying episodes, but yeah. it was so short-lived for the amazing wins on mm. the other side. Um, but I, I totally echo what you guys say, and that support is key, so, so key. Mm. And my husband is very supportive, was very supportive of the whole you know, sleep teaching, the whole plan, very, very supportive, but we are both his parents and we are so emotively involved that having Jem on the outside was invaluable for both of us. Yes. Because actually having that outside head that's like, you know, this is why we're doing it and this is what we're gonna do, rather than that person that's mm. so emotionally involved was a game yeah. changer mm. for me. And I don't think I would have, I don't yeah. think I would have got there actually without that extra support from Jem. I needed yeah. that outside person. 100%. I remember once when Ted was, gosh, 18 months old, my fourth, mm. and Jem didn't work for us at that point. And, or did he, Jem? Anyway, probably, maybe, who knows? But I phoned her up in tears and I was giving Ted Weetabix every night about 1 a.m. And I was like, I just don't know what to do. I'm so tired. So I'm making up for it. Like, I'm, and I'm so snappy in the day. And it took Jem to say, Eve, you are being gentle and kind and soft and giving food in the night because you're so exhausted in the day that you are not, you're snappy, you're not available, you're not present, you're not playing. What if he was sleeping in the night and then you could be all those things in the daytime? Yeah. And I was like, but what if he's hungry? She's like, how old is Ted, Eve? And I went, <laughs> 18 months old. And she went, does he need to have any food overnight? And I went, no. And it was a shock to hear myself say 18 months old because mm. I somehow he was still a baby and it, mm. I was being very triggered. And it was the guilt about not being present in the day that I was making up for it at mm. night. And it was all the wrong way around. Mm. So to, to mirror what you just said, it was Gemma's outside head and compassion, but also, come on, love. Come on. Yeah. That, yeah. that was the key. Yeah. We, we all know what to do, it? Pip. It's like mm -hmm. exercise. We all know we've got to eat eat well and move a bit more. But but we need some help and some structure and mm. some some love and a compassion to get there. And that's what we do and why we do it. <laughs> oh, and you guys do it incredibly. So thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And thank you for coming to talk today. I hope this provides some wonderful reassurance to anyone listening Goodbye. who is a skeptic like me or in the depths of sleep deprivation. And in the episode description, you will find all the links to the wonderful Eve and Jem and Calm and Bright Sleep Support and all the wonderful things they can do for you. So if you have got any questions, please reach out to these ladies because they are more than yes. happy to answer them and guide you through. Yeah, our inbox is always open, whether you buy a plan or not. If you've got a question, please come and ask us and we'll mm. always do everything we can to help you. 
Thank you, ladies, and thank you for oh, being thank fabulous. You. Thank, thank you, you so, so much for having us. Lovely. Take good care of yourself. Lots of love. Thank- if you've enjoyed this chat and want to hear more on this topic, head over to midwifepip.com where you'll find my accompanying blog post with highlights, my thoughts, extra information and additional resources. And remember, leaving a review on my podcast if you've enjoyed listening really does make a huge difference to helping me reach more women with honest, reliable information. So please take a moment to do this because when women support women, amazing things happen. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.